Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 53 of The Sco Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield. Happy to be with you here on today, Wednesday, December 18th, 2019. We are one week away from the Christmas holiday, and fear not, while next week is a holiday week for most, not here at The Sco Show, we will be here all week long no days off, yada, yada, yada. Today's show is a big one. We're talking Bills. We're going to talk about the Bills defense. We're also going to chat with one and only Nate Geary from WGR up in Buffalo, also a contributor to the CoverOne.net website. They do fantastic work covering the Buffalo Bills. Nate is also the pregame, the halftime, the postgame host for the games on WGR 550 up in Buffalo, flagship station for the Buffalo Bills. We're going to chat on all things Bills related in a little bit during quality time. We're also going to talk some Top Gun during Thoughts from the Timeline. But first, we're going to talk about the defense. We're going to start with some numbers and some film. Got a video piece going up on Pat's Pulpit today as well that you'll want to check out. Before we do that, your usual reminders. Please do follow on with the work at Mark Schofield on Twitter. Places like Inside the Pylon, Pro Football Weekly, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio. And yes, three SB Nation websites, Big Blue View. Bleeding Green Nation, and right here at Pat's Pulpit. I do want to take a minute, promote some of the work. If you get a chance to check out a piece I wrote over at Pro Football Weekly from the perspective of a Bears fan, the Bears organization, look, the Bears are playing the Chiefs this week, all right? And if you're a Bears fan, it's going to be a painful afternoon watching Patrick Mahomes carve you up, knowing full well your franchise traded up to pass on Patrick Mahomes and draft Mitchell Trubisky. You're going to get something next year as well when the Houston Texans and the Chicago Bears square off. And so rather than go for the low-hanging fruit and talk about how, oh, man, what could have been? You guys really botched that one. I looked at those three quarterbacks and some potential lessons for Ryan Pace to take away from drafting them or passing on them or whatever. So you can check that out over at Pro Football Weekly. Also got a piece over at Big Blue View. An appreciation for Eli Manning from the perspective of a Pats fan. Maybe you don't want to read that one. I'm just saying. If you're listening to the show, you're probably a Pats fan and you don't want to read a piece about Eli Manning and Super Bowl is 42. You don't want to do that. So forget it. Forget I even brought it up. It didn't happen. Never happened. Just like Rocky Five. Let's talk Bill's defense. And we will start with numbers. Why? Because I like them. And it's my show. And it's a Wednesday show. So you know what that means. Anyway, 
I went back to profootballreference.com, or pro-football-reference.com, and using their gameplay finder, I pulled all of Tom Brady's games since 2017. Why? You'll see in a moment. But it's interesting seeing the success or lack thereof he's had against some opponents. For example, he's played New Orleans, the Saints, once during that time frame. And in that game, Tom Brady averaged 13.1 yards per play. The offense got a first down on 48.8% of those plays, three touchdowns. Those are pretty impressive numbers. In fact, that 3.1 yards per play, the most Tom Brady has posted against any opponent in that period of time. For example, the Oakland Raiders, remember that game down in Mexico City a couple seasons ago? 11.1 yards per play, three touchdowns, a first down on 42.1% of plays. But then you get to the Buffalo Bills. Now they've played New Orleans once, they've played Oakland once, now they've played the Bills five times. Just 6.5 yards per play. They've got, yes, three touchdowns during those five games. But Brady's thrown five interceptions. And those five interceptions tied with just the Miami Dolphins for teams that have intercepted Tom Brady the most during that period of time. Now, of course, yes, when you play one team once, like, say, the Denver Broncos, you're not going to get five picks against Tom Brady. But... Five picks in five games is a lot. Another way to sort of look at Tom Brady's numbers, that sort of percentage of plays that resulted in a first down, again, against the Saints, 48.8% of his plays resulted in a first down, against the Denver Broncos, 44.4%. Then you get all the way down to the Buffalo Bills, just 30.4%. Now, in that yards per play, when I mentioned the Bills, Brady's brought up just 6.5 yards per play against them. The only games he's been worse, Jacksonville, that debacle early last year, Baltimore this season, Tennessee last year, Detroit last year, Dallas, Philly, Cincinnati. That's a rather disturbing trend. But if you look again at the fact that Buffalo has really frustrated Tom Brady, since 2017. Why did I use that cutoff date? Sean McDermott. Because since Sean McDermott has come to Buffalo, Brady has struggled against them. In those five games, Brady has gone 102 for 102 completions on 166 attempts for a completion percentage of 61.4. 1,802 yards, three touchdowns, five interceptions for a yards per attempt of 6.5 and a quarterback rating of just 73.9. Again, not like quarterback rating is the be-all and end-all, but those aren't great numbers. Especially when you look at the fact that those are all sort of below his career standards. It's below his career completion percentage. It's below his career yards per attempt. It's below his career quarterback rating. Like his career quarterback rating is 97.0. And it's 86.5 this year. But 
even while that 86.5 is the lowest Tom Brady has posted since 2008 when, again, he played one game. His marks, his numbers against Buffalo are even lower. Now, I went back and I looked at the week four game, and you can watch the the video on Pat's Pulpit. You can check it out, patspulpit.com. It's got a YouTube video breaking down four plays in particular, which I'm going to talk about right now. Two plays early in the game, two plays later in the game. And they stand for basically the same premise. And that premise is this. Buffalo does two things extremely well to frustrate Tom Brady and this offense. And the end of this offense rejoinder there is important. The two things that they do while one, they really do a great job of constricting and taking away underneath throwing lines. We'll cover that second. But first, it's rotating at the snap. It confusing Tom Brady and the Patriots offense. Again, those additional words are important, and I'll tell you why in a second. But in the piece, I break down four plays. The first two come from New England's opening possession, a second and 10 and a third and 10. And they are great examples of how New England can confuse the Patriots' offensive skill players. In the first one, second and 10, Patriots come out. They've got their pony package on the field. Dorsett, Edelman, Gordon, your three wide receivers. And you've got two running backs, Burkett and White, in the backfield, Brady in the gun. You've got Edelman in a slot to the left. Looking at the defense pre-snap, you see the cornerbacks in press coverage alignment. You also see a coverage defender right across from Edelman. You see two deep safeties. What does that tell you? If you've listened to this show long enough, you probably know that tells you cover two men under, right? you got three coverage defenders and man coverage press alignment on three wide receivers, two deep safeties. It's cover two man under. Brady is even more convinced of that. When Edelman goes in motion from left to right, he gets a defender to trail him. He points out the mic. Now he's thinking it's cover two, it's man under. You look at both corners, they're both in that textbook Dr. Death, little best of times reference, alignment and technique. They're staring right at their receiver. This is cover two, man under. But as Brady finishes up his cadence, both corners start to backpedal. And one of them even notices that Brady sees him. So he starts to backpedal and sort of open his hips towards the middle of the field like he's going to read the quarterback. And he sees Brady. He literally sees Tom Brady peeking at him. It's amazing. And when he sees that, he flips himself back into man coverage technique. He's thinking there, I got to show this. I got to show him man coverage. But of course they're not running man coverage. They rotate this into a cover three look. And they buzz the safety, Micah Hyde, down. Brady wants to throw a deep out route, a curl route, to Philip Dorsett. And he reads it right. The problem is, by buzzing down into, by buzzing Hyde down into the box, he makes it a tougher throw. He constricts that throwing lane. Brady has to, use a different trajectory on the throw and the pass is overthrown. And now this is a great example of Tom Brady catching everything. But when we're talking about Nikhil Harry, when we're talking about Jacoby Myers, when we're talking about other guys that may even be veterans, all these little nuances that I just walked you through with the benefit of pause and slow motion, that's kind of doing it how Tom Brady can do it given his years of experience in the National Football League. 
other receivers, they might not miss, they might not see that stuff. If you're Josh Gordon on the other side of the formation, you don't see the little cat and mouse game between the opposite field corner and Tom Brady. So you might read this as cover two. And against cover two on this play, you might be tasked with running a go route or a fade route. But against cover three, you might be running a comeback. And that's the difficulty with playing the Buffalo Bills. They're so good at adjusting their coverage right at the snap that they might confuse receivers. And if Brady's expecting you to run a curl and you read it's cover two man and you run a fade, that's how turnovers happen. That's how route miscommunication happens. The very next play, it's another sort of similar look. They have the same exact formation alignment the Patriots do. Dorsett left, Gordon right, Edelman in the slot, pony package. Edelman comes in motion. This time they show, again, man coverage and they show pressure. They've got eight defenders on the line of scrimmage. They are showing blitz, but not everybody comes. At the last second, they drop one of the defenders off. He uses a rat technique. Roberts, when a safety comes down into the box and helps out against in-breaking routes, rat, when somebody comes off the line of scrimmage, drops deep to help against in-breaking routes. The rat drops off. They basically bracket the crossing route that Brady wants to throw to. He's forced to sort of throw a corner route, which is his second read, to Philip Dorsett, who's essentially double covered between the cornerback and trail technique and the safety over the top. So again, they show you something, they run something else, it takes away what you want to do, you're forced to go to a different read. So that's some of what they do in terms of showing you one look and then running something else to confuse not just Tom Brady, but the rest of the skilled players. And that's the critical point to all of this. I've said it before on this show, I've said it elsewhere, You know, the idea of rotating coverage to confuse offensive players, it's not just aimed at the quarterback. Remember, remember that hypothetical I just rolled out. Cover two, you run a fade. Cover three, you run a curl. You got to know the difference because Tom Brady sure will. The other thing I want to sort of talk about is taking away throwing lanes. They do such a great job at taking away throwing lanes. First example of this, second and eight at the New England five-yard line, 10.02 left in the game. And again, this is on the video. Brady wants to throw backside X slant to Philip Dorsett. And it's one of the things that New England does so often. How many times have you seen Tom Brady fake a run play to his right, come out of that fake firing, throwing that backside X slant route to the left? I've lost count. You probably have too. Well, Buffalo's seen that as well. So even though it's late in the game, it's a situation where New England wants to salt this one away at 16-10 with 10 minutes to go. You might be thinking, run. They're ready for this. Micah Hyde gets right into the throwing lane and Brady sees it, so the throw is high and it's again incomplete. They do such a great job at getting into these throwing lanes, taking away these underneath throws that Brady wants to throw. Later in the game, about the five-minute mark, actually 328. So again, at 1610, 328 and counting. The clock's running. Brady again wants to throw a slant route to the left. This time it's Edmonds. 
the long, rangy linebacker from his middle linebacker spot. Patriots run tosser or double slant. He wants to throw the inside slant to Josh Gordon and never gets there. Edmonds is long. He's athletic. He gets in the way of it. And New England's lucky this isn't a pick six the other way. He just doesn't make the catch. So they do with their safeties and linebackers such a great job at getting into throwing lanes. And we'll hear from Nate Gary in a moment during quality time about the fact that at every level of the defense, this Buffalo defense is extremely good. So check out the video. I I dive into it more. Watch the plays for yourself. Patriots have a tough task ahead of them this Saturday against this Bills defense. But that's enough for me. Time for some quality time. Nate Gary from WGR. He joins us next on episode 53 of The Sco Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. And welcome back into episode 53 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. It's time for some quality time, and I am overjoyed to have our next guest come on. He covers the Buffalo Bills for WGR Sports Radio 550 in Buffalo, where he's their pregame, halftime, and postgame host. He contributes over at Cover1.net. You can find him on Twitter at Nate Geary. WGR, he's the one and only Nate Geary. Mr. Geary, how are you, my friend? Oh, man, I'm feeling really good. Team clinched last week against a really difficult, uh, well, I shouldn't say last week. I mean, it was two days ago, but, uh, you know, clinched against a, a very good Pittsburgh Steeler defense. And, and obviously the defense, um, you know, making Duck Hodges look like the undrafted free agent that he was on, on Sunday night football. Sunday night football for the first time since 2006. Um, yeah, you know, it's it, it was a really, really good quote unquote end to what has been a really special season um, and, and the thing that, that I think I enjoy the most is obviously the progress the quarterback has made, which I'm sure we'll be talking a little bit about. And, um, maybe more importantly, uh, this next matchup that, um, that's going to feature two teams that aren't exactly the same as their previous, I think it was week four matchup. So, uh, excited to dissect the changes that the bills have made since then. Now, Nate, many not might not know this, but two years ago, we hosted a short-lived podcast sure together did, called Intentional Scouted, where we, we covered the quarterback prospects and the prelude to the Bills potentially selecting a quarterback. And they did. It was Josh Allen. Now, during the run of that show, we joked that our hope for Intentional Scouted was that we would never have to do it again, meaning the Bills <laughs> had found their quarterback. So a two-part question to start us off. First, Will we see intentional scouting start up again anytime soon? And second, when we were doing that show, did you ever think we'd be talking about a Week 16 matchup between the Bills and the Pats with the AFC East potentially on the line so quickly? Uh, definitely not this soon, Mark. Um, I, you know, just where this team was in 2017 when Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean took over um, to where they've gotten it now is really a testament to their leadership, their their um, their roster building ability. And they really did what they set out to do, which was change the culture within the locker room. And I think, you know, having four returning players from that 2017 team, that's the surefire way to change things over and to change the culture is by removing a lot of what made that previous culture regime 
what it was and, and what it was is not a consistent winner. And now we're seeing two out of the three years, this Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean led regime make it to the playoffs this year. They clinched before week 15 um, or uh, right at week 15. So, you know, it, it's, it's been a really great rise from where they were in 17 to where they are now. I think there's an argument to be made though, um, that even though they're at 10 and four heading into week 16 with the AFC East on the line, that the 2017 season where the Bills ended up with nine wins and kind of backing into the playoffs, that was really probably Sean McDermott's best coaching job. That team just was devoid of talent. Um, a Tyrod Taylor, a quarterback that, um, as we know, was incredibly limited in what he was able to do throwing the football. And, um, you know, from there to be there and, and to be where we are today, it's truly uh, it's truly quite a step forward for this Bills franchise. And and as for your, your first question, I, I, I don't, Mark. I don't think we're going to be doing an intentional scouting. Um, anytime soon. The thing that I think we all are, are really sort of taking in with Josh Allen um, is how he gets it done. Now, he still isn't the most consistent player. I also want to really give credit to the past couple defenses that the Bills have faced um, that have made their offense look sort of mediocre or, or less than average. And I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers defense is right up there in the top five in total DVOA, defensive DVOA. That's a team that has a, a blue chip player at every level right up front. TJ Watt is arguably the best AFC defender in the league right now. He was first in the AFC in sacks going into, uh, into Sunday night. And he certainly made his presence felt with a half a sack and a forced fumble and what could have been another forced fumble in that game as well. And then at the second level, Devin Bush is a really good young linebacker. And obviously we all know what Nick Fitzpatrick's done since being traded from the Dolphins to the Steelers and, and sort of his presence and what he's done to that Pittsburgh Steelers defense. And then obviously that Ravens defense is one of the hottest defenses in football right now. They have the ability with their three cover corners to go out and run defenses. A lot of people can't and be aggressive and run cover zero looks like a lot of defenses and defensive coordinators around the league just don't have the confidence or personnel to do. So yeah, you know, I, I do want to give a lot of credit to, um, the defenses the Bills have played of late for stifling them to 17 points a game. But this Bills defense um, really, really does a nice job of keeping the game within a possession where within two possessions. And this offense, uh, I will say this about Josh Allen that I, that I think is something you can carry on to next season and hope to build on is he plays his best football in the fourth quarter. Right now, I think he's first in the league in pass fourth quarter passer rating. Um, most of his statistics are within the top five, his major passing statistics in the top five in the fourth quarter. So when the big time comes and the big stage is there, Josh Allen plays his best football. And to me, those are traits you can't teach. So give me the you know deep ball inaccuracy. Give me um, you know some of the other mechanical flaws that he has because those are things that can be cleaned up over the course of the next few years and allow him to, you know, to kind of grow into that position and be the franchise quarterback. A lot of us now believe he truly can be, but what you can't teach and what he has is that ability when, when things are down, his teammates have confidence in him that he's going to be able to bring them back with six fourth quarter comebacks and seven game winning drives early this early in his career. It's been pretty remarkable on what the young man's been able to do. Now, I think an important part of his development has been the influence of Brian Dable, his play caller. What have you seen from him this season as a play caller, and how has that helped Allen's development? So Dable gets a lot of slack, and I think that usually means you have a young quarterback. When the quarterback doesn't take a majority of the blame and the offensive coordinator does, um, it tends to be, in my opinion, a bit of uh, a fake outrage, right? Like it's you don't really want to yell at the quarterback. He's young. You understand he's going to make mistakes. So let's blame the offensive coordinator. And, and for the most part, Brian Dable, what he's been able to do with Josh Allen has been nothing short of amazing. You're not going to find anybody outside of Buffalo that looks at Josh Allen now and doesn't really totally pin all of 
that on Brian Dable. Now, of course, a lot of us within the organization and within the fan base, we would like to see more at times from this offense. They're still sort of bottom of the barrel, ranked 27th in pass, passing yards per game. They're in the top 20 in, in passing DVOA, which is a nice rise from 32nd last season. Um, this is a running attack that's ranked fifth in football in yards per game. But the points per game and the yards, total yards per game aren't really meshing the way that I think a lot of folks would like. And, and obviously, this is still an offense that has 10 new starters. When you think about it, it's pretty remarkable um, that Deion Dawkins is only the returning starter from opening day last season. They're starting left tackle. Everyone else has been turned over. And a lot of that um, has to do with the culture change, the regime change to, in two years ago. Um, that, that has sort of set the stage for this. And obviously the additions of guys like John Brown and Cole Beasley, you know, who a lot of people overlooked as sort of throwaway signings later early in the in the offseason. You know, John Brown surpassed the thousand yard mark last week against the Steelers, um, is on uh, 70 catches for a thousand yards this season and five touchdowns. What a remarkable campaign uh, and bounce back campaign from John Brown who really became invisible when Lamar Jackson took over in, in, in Baltimore last year. So, yeah, Brian Dable has, has a noticeable effect on the development of Josh Allen. I, for one, hope that he ends up sticking around another season and doesn't take an, an, an NFL head coaching position, which um, has he's been linked to a number of times. I think, though, the, the good thing about Dable is he's a Western New York guy, went to St. Francis High School here in, in Hamburg and Buffalo, New York, um, understands the community, has family, has friends in this community, fits in really well here. And, and I think that a job that came, would, it would have to absolutely blow him away. Um, it would have to be a job he simply couldn't say no to. And I don't know that that job is out there. He's been linked a lot to the Washington Redskins. And, you know, uh, no, no offense to Washington, but that's not a situation I see Brian Dable, um, you know, kind of leaving this situation for. What the Bills are building, Mark, is is really remarkable. And it's, it's being done the right way. And it starts with guys like Dable, um, who buy in, who who are in lockstep. It, it just seems like from top to bottom, from general manager to head coach to coordinators to assistants to to positional coaches, everyone is sort of on the same track. They're on the same, uh, you know, they, they, they're they they're transferring the same words, the same message. And I, I think that has a lot to do with what the Bills' success has seen um, so far this season. Now let me ask you about the other side of the ball. Obviously, like you said, these teams are a bit different than they were back in week four. But if you look back at these teams and their games over the past couple of years now, since McDermott has come to Buffalo, for example, this defense has frustrated Tom Brady. What is it about this Bills defense that gets under Brady's skin, that frustrates the Patriots' offense, and holds them to you know 16 points, for example, in week four? Yeah, so to, to kind of give you uh, the short answer on that, Mark, is they're not really vulnerable at any level of the defense, right? Like, for their defensive backfield is clearly their their strength of their defense. But I think you could look at the linebacker core and say, man, they're not far off. And then you start looking at the interior defensive line and saying, well, they're really deep. And then you look at the, the edge rush and you say, well, they don't have a you know blue chip talent, but they're deep. They're four or five guys deep at every um, at every level, and that really allows their defensive line to stay fresh during football games. It allows their defensive backs, um, you know, they have one guy in Kevin Johnson who's more of a, a better man coverage guy compared to Levi Wallace, who's uh, a better zone guy. So dependent on the you know opponent they're playing, if they want to run zone heavy, you know, they're going to rely more on Levi Wallace. If they're going to run more man, they're going to rely more on Kevin Johnson. And I think the other guy, and, and obviously Trey White's in this conversation, he's been the Bills MVP on defense and maybe their entire team. In general, he is right up there in the conversation with Stephon Gilmore right now as the best not only 
I think clear cut best in the AFC, but just in the NFL is in, 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 in total. Um, Tredavious White has really, really taken that step in year three from really good to elite player. Um, and I think that emergence has really helped their defense take a step from where they were in week four to compare to where they are now. Um, Tredavious White in that time has taken that step. But the other guy that I want to maybe add into this conversation, Mark, is a guy that I'm not sure every Patriots fan knows about, and that's Taron Johnson. Taron Johnson is this team's former fifth-round pick from last season. He's a slot cornerback out of Murray State, um, is a guy that battled injuries last year, and he has battled injuries to start this season as really coming into his own now that he's healthy. And part of what makes Taron Johnson really good is his ability to cover from the slot position. He's one of the best cover corners graded out through PFF in the slot this season. And not only that, he's one of the Bills' most reliable and best edge run defenders on their team. He's a willing tackler. He sets the edge really well, does not let guys and running backs get outside of them. And this is all of this, and we haven't talked about arguably their their most consistent player, which is their 21-year-old middle linebacker, Tremaine Edmonds, yeah. who right now is playing his best football, bar none, of his career and you know 21 years old mark i mean it's ridiculous you know lamar jackson to, to kind of give you an idea in his second year is 23 years old this player is 21 he's six foot five with the wingspan of of a tight end the speed of a receiver and the tackling ability of a of a pro bowl level linebacker so um that's the guy to me that has really brought this passing defense to the next level because they have answers at every level mark and we're going to talk about unsung heroes in a little while, but you know, from from top, from front to back, there is no weakness, and I think that's the biggest thing this Bills defense brings each week. Is it's hard for offensive coordinators, a, a guy like Bill Belichick, who we know is sort of um, famous, Mark, for finding what you do uh, what you do well and making you do the things you don't do well, and whether that's one or two things, they force you in doing that. I mean, it's offensive coordinators. Good luck finding that with the Bills defense. Now, as always, when we get a great guest like Nate on, we get some questions from the listeners via the Sco Show Slack channel. This episode is no different. First up, a question from Andy Likens, and he wants to know, Nate, how do you feel about Josh Allen's development? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm fairly happy, Mark, and, and I think most of us in Buffalo, we kind of came up with this arbitrary baseline that we wanted to see Josh Allen um, sort of hit statistically um, and and obviously through wins. And I think what we're seeing is a very similar, um, I, I would say, development path through the first two years of Mitchell Trubisky. I think by the end of year one, they're going to have very similar passing numbers, almost probably spot on. The difference, though, is Josh Allen and his running ability and his nine rushing touchdowns, which is a Buffalo Bills um, team record um, and leads the league in, in rushing touchdowns from a quarterback. And I, I think that that's sort of um, what I call his bridge. And what I mean by that, Mark, is the running ability has really bridged the gap between his development as a passer and his ability to help this team and lead them to victory is, you know, I think if we had to rely on Josh Allen as the pocket passer, as a guy that could move outside of the pocket, I think you'd have some serious concerns here in Buffalo, but because of his running ability and his athletic ability, he's been able to bridge the gap in that development process of his passing game, which is really coming around. I mean, he's one of the most accurate passers in football in the intermediate level throws, which I remember, I vividly remember our breakdown, uh, uh, an intentional scouting mark, where that intermediate throw path was one of the areas where we were most concerned about yeah. him, Alan. Was, what, was this a player that could throw with anticipation? I think he's answered a lot of those questions. Is this a player that can throw and lead people and throw people open that was a big question to us that i think he's answered 
thus far in his career. And I think maybe most importantly, Mark, is this is a player that we really worried about his ability to keep his eyes up. Is he going to be a player that stands in the pocket, takes hits, delivers accurate throws? And, and I want to give him check marks on all three of those areas. And, and I think that's big time for a player with so many questions, so, so much polarization coming out of college about whether or not he was even a starting caliber, caliber quarterback. And now you're seeing, you know, shows like First Take and, and, some of the, and, and Good Morning Football coming around and talking about Josh Allen as not only a, a, a very legitimate starting caliber quarterback, but a guy right in the middle of the league. And um, I know that that's not where every organization kind of hopes their quarterback is in the middle of the league, but it's a breath of fresh air here in Buffalo compared to what we've seen in the past. And for Josh, I, I don't think we're there yet. I think there's still growth to be had, but it's really exciting that we've seen this second year step the way that we did. I think now what we have to worry about is how do we avoid the year three that Metro Trubisky had? How do we avoid that, that, that junior year step back? And, and I think a lot of that's going to be doing with what they do in the offseason. The Bills have $90 million. They have the fourth most cap space in football going into next season now they've got a lot of guys in house they've got a uh, that that deserves some pay upgrades but this is a team that's going to be able to add a few pieces around Allen next year whereas year three for Mitchell Trubisky you know the the Bears really weren't able to add much around Trubisky because they spent so much money the previous offseason they traded two first round picks for Khalil Mack that's not how Brandon Bean is going to build this team Brandon Bean isn't going to go all in on a player um, this offseason, whether it's via trade or in the free agency, that limits his ability to make his overall team better. And that's what I appreciate. This very calculated approach, I think, is going to help Allen's development in the long run. Matt St. John has perhaps the pivotal question of the week. What's changed since week four? Hmm. I think maybe more importantly, um, Mark, it's is of course i think the question is what's changed in buffalo but i think you can look at the at the patriots as well the patriots were letting up 6.9 points per game um when they when they came to buffalo in week four now they're giving up over 19 points a game um at this point in the season whereas the bills were giving closer to 21 points a game to start the season they're down to 17 or actually i think they're down to 14 points a game right now which is second in football um so the bills defense has gotten notably better as the season's gone along the Bills also are one of the healthiest teams in football, Mark. They have one guy on IR. They have two guys right now that are um, that have been missed that have missed significant time, and that's starting right tackle Ty and Secchi. And to be quite frank with you, they haven't missed a beat with their rookie right tackle Cody Ford um, in at right tackle. So, and the other guy that that we've seen um, Mark having some injury issues is up front in Corey Legit, who they picked up midseason. This team is remarkably healthy. You can't say the same against a team like the New England Patriots. So part of it's luck, Mark, but the Bills invested millions of dollars into their training facility. It's one of the best training facilities in football right now. And I think we're seeing significant strides in their ability to stay healthy. A lot of guys stayed in Buffalo over the offseason, which you don't see a lot in a lot of uh, for a lot of teams. And I think part of them being healthy um, is a big, big thing uh, compared to what we saw in week four to now. Not that they were unhealthy to start the season, but they've had young guys develop, Mark. I mentioned Tremaine Edmonds, a guy like Matt Milano, whose development path has really, really brightened. And he's a really solid player for this defense. Shaq Lawson, that's a big difference. Okay, Shaq Lawson wasn't the player early on this season. He's their spark plug. He's the guy that's really setting the energy tone for games. And I think most importantly, Jordan Phillips and, and Ed Oliver have really created a one-two punch at the three-technique position 
that not a lot of teams can offer. Jordan Phillips, nine and a half sacks from the three technique position. Ed Oliver is absolutely dominating defensive line at the at the point of attack at the line of scrimmage. He's commanding double teams and regularly beating them, Mark. And that's getting guys like Shaq Lawson, like Trent Murphy, um, like Jerry Hughes, the ability to to sort of attack these offenses without double teams. And when you have an interior defensive line that can consistently beat double teams, the rest of your guys will benefit. So for me, it's just really been the development of a lot of players throughout the season that we haven't seen in years past. We haven't had a coaching staff who is committed to development and and allowing guys to grow within themselves as players. And the thing you hear around here, Mark, is the 111th. Every player is just expected to do their job. And when you can rely on the guy next to you, that they're always going to be doing their job, you have far more freedom to do yours with your best ability. Now, Nate, John Limarakis wants to know via the Scotia Slack channel, is Devin Singletary going to pose as many problems as Joe Mixon did for New England? I think no question. Um, The thing about Devin Singletary, Mark, that I think this team loves is this is not a guy that's going to run away from any defenders, really at all, at, at any time. The thing that you saw on display multiple times on Sunday night, what you've seen at times this season is a stop and start ability. Um, The guy, a lot like LaShawn McCoy, now not as explosive as Shady, um, but does not take hits. And the guys that want to, he's small, Mark, he doesn't move very quick, and guys lick their chops. They see see a guy who's kind of moving around slowly, and they think they can deplete him. They can put him on a highlight film for a hit. And you see it regularly. It happens three, four times a game. It happened a handful of times against Pittsburgh where you had these guys, TJ Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick and Devin Bush coming in to just absolutely deplete a Devin Singletary. He puts one foot in the ground and he makes defenders look silly, like just over pursue, over commit to him. And he puts one foot in the ground. His stop and start ability is some of the best I've ever seen. Um, so, yeah, and, and each week, Mark, his, his role in this offense continues. He is breaking off, on average, three or four runs a game of 10 or more yards. He's averaging over five yards a carry. Um, he's been a big part of this team's passing attack. And, yeah, the rookie has really, really, um, I, I think, stepped out as the primary running back, probably going back to week eight or nine now um, after he came back from injury as the player that really they need to give the ball 15-plus times a game to And I think their offense has benefited from that. And the big thing with that first matchup, Mark, and maybe I should have saved this for the previous question you asked me, what's changed? Well, Devin Singletary wasn't dressed for that New England game. He did not play. And we, you know, the Bills really had to rely on Frank Gore and TJ Yeldon. And although TJ Yeldon does bring that passing um, element to to their offense that maybe they don't have currently because TJ Yeldon's been basically has been a scratch, a healthy scratch for every game since the New England game, is, you know, they just – they just are a more complete back, uh, a, a complete backfield with with Devin Singletary in there. So, yeah, I think he poses a major threat to this Patriots defense. And I think the one thing when you turn on the film, Mark, and you look at that Ravens game and you look at last week against Cincinnati and you look back at some of these losses against that the Patriots have had, which I know aren't many. Um, but I think the one common denominator is the Ravens are very difficult to stop on the ground. The Bills were able to do it, held them to 24 points. But the Patriots were not. And I suspect that that Brian Dable and this Bills offense is going to take a hard, long look at that Sunday night game or that Monday night game, whenever it was, when the when the Ravens kind of walloped this, the uh, the Patriots, and to see how they beat them. Was it in the edge? You know, was it in in sort of the read option game, which I think we can expect to see more of um, this week? Was it the RPO game? Because I think for the most part, the Bills want to beat teams running the football. 
Um, and they don't want to, you know, when Josh Allen is throwing for under 25 attempts a game, the Bills are going to win a lot of football games that way. And when they're running, when the Bills have 30 or more attempts under Brian Dable, they are 14 and two. So that gives you an idea of what they want to do to be successful. Nate, Rick Keeler would like to know, and we touched on this earlier, you probably have some more thoughts, though. Who has been the unsung hero of this Bills season? Unsung hero? Good question, man. Uh, for me, I think I think the I, I wouldn't call him unsung. It's Tredavious White. I, I don't think you can call him unsung. But I think the unsung hero for me, Mark, is probably going to be either Jordan Phillips or Shaq Lawson. And I think I'm probably going to uh, – I think I'm probably going to fall on – I think I'm going to fall on Shaq Lawson, even though Jordan Phillips' numbers are there. Nine and a half sacks this season is a really like a lightning rod for them defensively. But Shaq Lawson has meant so much to this team as a run defender. He is their best run defender, bar none. He's now added a pass rushing element to his game that he hadn't had in years past. Um, so I'm going to give it to Shaq Lawson because he's a terror each and every week. He brings it each and every week, and he's a really hard um, he's a hard block, man. He just does things. He's relentless. Um, so I'm going to give it to Shaq Lawson. I think he really deserves that. Now, Nate, you get to be the second guest to enjoy the thoughts on the timeline segment. It's something I've started recently where I pose a football or non-football question that is surrounded by discussions on the Twitter timeline. A few weeks ago, I was asking Seth Kaiser about Baby Yoda. So, <laughs> Nate... Where are you on the Top Gun Maverick oh. previews? Are you as excited as I am? Have you downloaded the soundtrack like me? Well, no, I haven't downloaded the soundtrack like you. I'm not surprised you've downloaded the soundtrack. But what I will say is I did watch the preview. Um, yeah, Cruz, uh, man, it's going to be great. The, the cast yeah. looks great. Um, I kind of found myself re-watching the preview after I watched it. I watched it a couple times in a row. Um, yeah, I'm really excited. Listen, you know what? I was actually just having this conversation yesterday, Mark. 2019 is going to end up the year of the movie. We've had, we haven't had a year quite like 2019, especially as we get closer to the end of the year. I mean, the Irishman, you start right. talking to the Joker, some of these movies that have come out towards the end of this year, going into 2020, like we haven't had a year like this in quite some time where there's actually going to be a debate come Oscar time. Like what movies are going to get Oscars? What shows, you know, are going to get these golden, like it, it's, it, there has been a lot of good filmmaking, um, which is nice because it has been quite a while, man. Uh, and I'm, I think I'm maybe most uh, – this remake in particular, um, I'm, I'm probably most excited about. Fantastic stuff. Now, Nate, let me get you out of here on this. And usually I let the guests get out with a mealy mouth. Give me your expectations, questions. I don't ask for a prediction, but it's week 16. Everything's on the table. Give me a prediction for Saturday. Man, I still don't really know who I'm going to pick for the game yet, Mark. But what I'll say is I, after Sunday night, I'll feel a little bit better if I do come to the conclusion that I think the Bills will end up winning. I still think it's going to be a hell of a game. The Bills haven't had a lot of answers for Bill Belichick's defense. But what I will say is Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier, that defense is going to keep him in the game all day long. The thing that I hope we see, Mark, is even though in that first matchup that Josh Allen probably had his worst start this season against that Patriots defense, he was knocked out for that fourth quarter. And what I mentioned earlier in the show is this is a player who brings it in the fourth quarter. I would have really been excited to see what Allen could do in that fourth quarter and a bounce back from what he did in the previous three, where he's going to have an opportunity, hopefully, to play the entire game this week. I think I'm probably going to find a way to come to pick the Bills. I think it'll be a close game regardless. This is not going to be a blowout on either side, I don't believe. It's really hard to beat the Patriots in Foxborough in December. I'm well aware of it. It's a different time, uh, Mark. I think that this Bills team is prepared 
to beat the Patriots. And in years past, uh, there hasn't been a meaningful game with the division on the line against the Bills. The Bills are in a such a unique position, Mark. And, and, I, and I, the reason I say that is they have already clinched. They're playing with house money. How rare are the Bills right. playing in December against this team for the division with already clinched? I mean, I, I, in my lifetime, never, Mark. So I, to, to tell you that they have the confidence that they're going to play freer because they are, they're not playing for anything in particular other than pride, um, I think that makes the Bills an, an incredibly dangerous group. I, I'm going to probably pick the Bills in like a one- or two-point game. Um, but I, I think the Bills are ready to beat the Patriots, where I don't think they were earlier in the season. I definitely don't think they were ready last year. I think if they're ready to beat the Patriots, it's this game this week this year. Fantastic stuff. As always, Nate, before I let you go, please remind everybody where they can catch you this week in the buildup to this massive AFC East clash. So, so of course, you can catch me at WGR550.com uh, on Twitter at NateGearyWGR. Actually, Mark, uh, I am going to be on vacation this week, um, oh, wow. so I will not be uh, doing my normal game day duties. I'm going to have an actual opportunity to kick my feet up on a Saturday afternoon and watch the Bills on on a television in Florida. Um, I'm super excited about that, first and foremost. But secondly, Mike Tirico calling the game for NBC with Kurt Warner and Peter Schrager. That's going to be great in itself on Saturday. But prime time, um, it'll be evening, lights on at Gillette Stadium. I mean, what? how much better does it get? Um, and not only that, for, you know, obviously we have a rooting interest. Hopefully the Miami Dolphins can figure out a way to beat the I'm – not, I'm not expecting it, but, you know right. – you know, they always play them hard. They always play the uh, the Patriots hard. But, uh, yeah, man, uh, I- I'm excited to kind of kick my feet up and actually enjoy some football without having to have that uh, have, my, have my hard hat on. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. But, of course, you can catch us uh, in all the lead-up this week at Nate Geary WGR, and I do some work at Cover One as well, uh, so you can follow me there. Oh, that's great stuff, Nate. Have a wonderful vacation. Enjoy it. It's going to be a great one this weekend. Friends, that will do it for today. I will be back tomorrow keeping you ready for this huge AFC East clash. Until then, please keep on blessing that Patriots reign down in Foxborough.